Thank you, and good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody here this morning. We've got this 9 o'clock slot. I feel like in Robin Williams in that movie. Good morning, Vietnam! All the old ones in the audience got that, right? All the rest of you were really sorry about that. Anyway, it was a great night, last night at Memorial. I guess about 2,000 people went over and ate all that good food. Did you get enough, John? I worried about you. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, this is the, uh, what? What is it? 33rd Annual International Tulsa International Soul Winning Workshop. And we're delighted you were able to come. I hope that you're finding your way around. Really, things are not much different. Uh, let me tell you quickly what's happening here. We're in a program called 2025 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and all of this bad stuff leads to the good stuff. It is a real good move that the Quick Trip organization that all of you know bought out the fairgrounds, so thus the Quick Trip Center. And all of the construction and so forth is a part of uh, what they're going to do. And I would suspect by next year, when you come again, I would suspect that you're going to see some fabulous, fabulous changes, and you'll already really be uh, familiar with them because it's just upper and lower like it was before at Expo. And the uh, parking back here in the back, if you'll realize, goes all the way across to the pavilion. So there's a lot more parking, just we don't have it where we used to. Got it out here, got it back there on the west side. And anyway, I think things are going to be really good. And you're going to hear some good speakers, and I hope and pray that it will be a weekend that will change lives and change churches. From the very beginning, 1976, it was our aim that this weekend would change people. You didn't come here as a spectator. You come here as a learner and as someone who's going to go home and do something with what you have uh, learned and gotten with the fellowship and the lessons and everything that goes on in Tulsa, Oklahoma over this weekend. So... Terry calls me and he says, okay, Marvin, what do you want to speak on? That, that, that's a great thing about living here. You get to speak on what you want to. And I just get to give you my hobbies, my pet, my peeves, my anything. And I thought right away, because I'm thinking about the needs of this great global brotherhood to which we all belong. And I thought, first of all, let's start off with let's restore the passion. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. My one Saturday at 3 in Lower Quick Trip Center will be on Let's Get Involved in World Missions. I believe those are the two things, signal key things, that are at the core of the church doing what Jesus had in mind when he came to earth and said, Upon this rock I'll build my church. And he gave the Great Commission, go into the whole world and preach the gospel to the entire creation. There's... When I look around, I'm, I'm optimistic about a lot of things that are happening in the church of our Lord. Good and bad is happening, like the parable of the wheats and the tares. They said to them, when the man sowed wheat in his field and the enemy sowed tares, and they said, shall we root out the tares? And Jesus says back to them, no, let both grow together. Is the world getting better or worse? It's, this is the right answer. It's getting better and worse. The better is getting better, and the worse is getting worse. But the thing I see that is missing far too often in the kingdom of God is passion, is passion. I see people going through the motions. I see people saying the right things, but there's, there's no conviction seemingly behind it. There's no energy. In fact, in fact, among all the things that we fuss and holler about, it seems to me that a lot of people holler about just getting excited. 
you know. And if you do this in, in, in sports, you're a fan. If you do it in church, you're a fanatic. And there's something wrong with that way of thinking. So we're talking this morning about restoring the passion. I, I want to I want to read to you from Joshua chapter 14. And uh, I thought about a good place to start would be a, a study on Caleb. So we're going to look in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, which says like this. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, a man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back him a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am. <laughs> here I am today, 85 years old. Medicare and all that stuff and retired, you know, and sitting by the creek fishing. Come on. What's happened to us in America? I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself have heard that the Anakites were there. That's the giants. Give me the giants, baby. Give me the hill country. Give me the hard stuff. You got to do that because I'm only 85 years old. All right. Give the rest to the other guys. And their cities are large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, and that's the key, I will drive them out just as he said. Every line of this is significant for us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and around the world today. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Why? Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. There's a lot of things needed in the church of our Lord today. We could talk about a lot of those. I'm not even going to mention those. But one, surely that we need, that we really need to give concern to, is number one, what it is we have to be passionate about, and number two, the fact that that's what they were all the way through the Scripture. All of God's victories, all of God's great men and women were men of passion. They had excitement. They went over the edge. They did not walk into a room as a professor might walk into a class and teach his class and say goodbye and walk out the door. They were passionate men and passionate women. And I believe passion is one of the most absent and yet most needed qualities in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ today. Scene one. This, uh, lest I need to give you a Bible story, we'll make it short, but we need to do it. I learned a long time ago in preaching, you say, boy, you know, we got to learn the lesson of old Isaiah back there, don't we? And everybody says, that's right, yeah. And, and you know, there's some people in the audience saying, who's he? They don't have a clue. So we got to go back to scene one. And when God got his people 
Abraham and the Israelites incubated in Egypt 400 years. And finally, it said to them, we're going to lead you out across the Red Sea and, uh, and on into the wilderness and on into the promised land. He said to them, you, you want to go see the land that I am giving you. I want you to listen to the words. If someone would look in their word Bible studies and write, a, I have given, or, or, or words to that effect, you'd find over and over dozens of times God saying to his people, I have given them into your hands. I have given you the land. Can I ask you a question? Why are we having so much trouble possessing what our God is giving? So we back up and God has his people ready to go into the promised land. And God says to them, all right, now take a, a, a leader. A leader out of every tribe, one out of all the 12 tribes, and go over into the land of Canaan, which I am giving you. This is God's stuff. We still want a few things from man's abilities. And God said, I'm giving it to you. Go look at it. Well, they go over there in Numbers chapter 13. By the way, in Numbers chapter 13 is the listing of the 12 spies. And I challenge anybody in this room, except some weirdo that specializes in trivia, to name me 10 out of the 12. Uh, any one of the 10 out of the 12 that gave the bad report. They come back after 40 days of seeing a land that was exactly as God had described it and a land that God said, I'm going to give you. And they come back and hold a meeting at the watered down road church of Christ. And God deliver us from business meetings. I'm going to tell you that right now. Somebody asked me a little bit after I retired 12 years ago. They said, Marvin, you're looking good in retirement. And I said, I don't attend business meetings anymore. You know? Now, come on. Now, I'm not putting, I'm, I'm having fun with you, understand? Because I know we got to meet, greet, and be sweet and all of that kind of stuff. You understand? But they come back and hold a business meeting, and the people are waiting to hear what the spies, a one, a leader, out of all of the 12 tribes, and they get together, and they're ready to hear these men who have seen what God wanted them to see. And with one accord, they begin to say, the land is exactly like God said. And then all of a sudden, they say, but. Now, if you know, how many of you have ever heard the name Reverend Ike? Huh? Can I see your hand? All right, all right. Reverend Ike is a black preacher up in the Northeast, and he had a sermon called, We Gotta Move Our Butts. Now, a whole lot of people took exception to that rule. You understand? But we do this. We say this and this and this is the case. But, I mean, there are more buts in the church of Christ that keep us from doing things. And like Reverend Ike said, we're going to have to move those obstacles out of the way because our God has already said, I'm going to give you the land. We need to march not knowing uh, about these different obstacles and not realize, not under, not understanding that how small we are and how large they are, that's going to happen. But we need to move because God said move. And number two, God said, I'll give the victory when you move. All right. <clears throat> so they come back and they say, no, we can't take the land. The giants are there and the cities are well fortified, you know, and they showed them the fruit and the produce of the land. And two spies are standing there by the name of Joshua, who is a derivative of the name Jesus of Joshua and Caleb, and they cannot believe their ears. Did they not see everything the others saw? And Caleb speaks up and says, we need to go up today and possess the land because we are well able to take. He's 40 years old, and he cannot believe. See, it's perspective. And in the church today, the same thing is true in the successes and failures that we face in the kingdom of God today. It's perspective. It's like when David went out to meet Goliath. 
And the Israelites were saying, boy, look at that nine foot nine giant. I mean, he's too big to hit. And David was saying, he's too big to miss. Understand? And they were saying, look how big he is compared to us, which was true. And David was saying, look how small he is compared to God. Can we learn that in our, in our efforts to get passion and belief and faith back in the kingdom of God? And so God is upset, rightly upset. Is he not the creator of the entire universe? And does he not with each one of us? And with our churches sometimes get so upset because we move in our own power. Like Galatians 3 and verse 3, which asks the question, Why, after you've started with the Spirit, why are you trying to accomplish by human effort? And ladies and gentlemen, we are still doing that today. We've come to 33 Tulsa workshops, and we've heard all of this preaching, and we've amened every bit of it, and we responded to it, and we go home the same grasshoppers we were before we came. And somebody's got to stop that. And I'm asking for people today to be that somebody. At the end of it, they said, in verse 30 to 33, in Numbers chapter 13, we look like grasshoppers to them. And then came the damning statement, and we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves. Can I say, ladies and gentlemen, that our problem in the church of the Lord today is that we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We look and see the comparisons with the big obstacles in the world, the Goliaths that are out there. And we swear that we're going to grow greater Goliaths rather than developing Davids when we should be developing Davids and Caleb's and Joshua's to go take the land because we are well able to take it, not because they're small, but because our God is large. Well... That's the story. Scene two. And in the rest of the story, we come to Joshua chapter 14. God has been so unhappy. Can you possibly, can you possibly conceive as God has watched us? You know, I was in an elders meeting one time at the, in the Garnett church where I was for 26 years and, and uh, we were making some kind of plans and they weren't too big. They, they weren't too exciting. And one of the elders looked back like this. I remember. By the way, I'm going to call his name because he may be in this audience. And it's a great man of faith, Mike Hornsby. And and he was looking back up like this. We're wondering, what's he seeing? You know, sometimes there's spiders crawling around in the elders' room. Some of them are on their Bibles. But in, I, anyway, you know. Anyway, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Yeah, look at that. Anyway, uh, but but what he was doing was in when when Peter was at his worst. See, when Peter denied Jesus. The Bible said, they asked Peter, you're one of those that stood with Jesus. Jesus is now being tried in Pontius Pilate's judgment hall. No, no, Peter says, no, I don't know the man. And they come back, no, you're one of them. He said, no, I'm not. And they came back and said, your speech and clothes and everything about you betray you. You're one of those. And Peter cursed and swore and said, I don't know the man. And the Bible said, and the Lord turned and looked straight into his eyes. And he went out and wept bitterly you know and mike said in that elders meeting we ought to be saying with all of our decisions and each of us should do this in our personal decision we ought to be saying when we make our plans and we dream our dreams look back over your shoulder and say what do you think god you know as big as you are and as almighty as you are do we look good or do we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes i'm talking about we need to restore the passion that the people of God had before us that won their victories and that moved and, 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 and slew giants and conquered lands and did all that God wanted them to do because they served God wholeheartedly. God said concerning these spies, including Joshua and Caleb, my people are going to wander in the wilderness 40 more years. One year 
for every day they spent in the promised land because I'm upset with them. This displeases me. This disgusts me. And are we listening, church of the Lord today? And every one of them, 20 years old and older, will die in the wilderness. And when you get through with the 40 years, there'll only be two old men in the congregation. The rest of all the millions that are there will be younger than these men by 40 years. And at the end of those 40 years in Joshua 14, Moses is gone and Joshua, one of those two great spies, one of those great two men of faith, two men of victory, two men of passion. He's the leader and Caleb approaches him and says to him, I've come to you now to see if you can still remember. At 85 years old, I'm surprised he could remember where his toothbrush was. He says to Joshua, do you remember Moses said to me when I was 40 years old, I'm going to give you that land. And he said, I'm going to give your inheritance, uh, your, your, your kinfolks and the ones that succeed you. I'm going to give you that land. And he said, I'm now 85 years old. He says this day. I don't know whether that's literal and it's his birthday. I'd like to believe it was. But anyway, he's 85 and he's saying to Joshua, I remember the promise and I'm here today as strong as I always was. And I want the hill country. I want the place where the giants are. I want the place where everybody backs off and says we can't go because they're too big and the obstacles are too great and we don't have enough money and we don't have enough people when the truth is we don't have enough passion and enough faith. Give it to me. And Joshua said, I'll give it to you. And the Bible says, so the land of Hebron belonged to Caleb and his descendants far from then on. Why? Because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about something too missing. And you people this morning are not just hearing a sermon up here. You are judging where you are. And some of you are saying, not true in my church. Wonderful. Or you can say faithfully and rightly, not true in my life. But far too many of us, including your speaker, far too many times have been the people without the faith and without the passion and without the enthusiasm to march out and believe that with God's help, our God is able to deliver them into our hands. The cry and need. In the world today, I say, as far as passion, I looked in the dictionary. If I'm going to preach on it, I ought to know what it means. And I looked in the dictionary and it said, passion, actions resulting from strong feelings. I remember a lady that I led to Christ at, uh, here in Tulsa at Garnett years ago. And, and, and like new members ought to do, she came into my office and she said, Marvin, I don't want to just be a Christian. Oh, praise God. I want to be involved. I want to get active. You know, I want to find something to do. I thought, this is wonderful in a brand new convert. And we begin talking and how you find your niche in the body. And I said, now, you know, lady, what are you passionate about? And she got all excited and said to me, do you know how to spell passion? I thought, well, you know, I do. P-A-S-S-I-O. She said, no, no, it's spelled P-A-S-S-I-O-N. It's pass I on. I've never forgotten that definition. It's getting yourself and throwing yourself into the arena it's without any uh, forethought it's without any doubt and any hesitation you just fling yourself into the fray years ago jay utley told the story about a lady that was on the beach with her little four-year-old son and they were enjoying the beach and wading uh, in the surf and the lady looked up once to find her little four-year-old boy wading out there in the surf and there was a small shark it was a news story. So this is a true story. I'm not just preaching. This is true. All right. You understand? All right. I woke some of y'all up with that, didn't I? All right. Anyway, anyway, she woke in a shark and got her boy by the leg and wouldn't turn him loose. Going to pull him out to sea. Going to eat that boy. 
And the mother, like any mother, she runs out into the ocean. She grabbed that shark and she grabbed that boy. And somehow she severed the shark from the boy and then pushed the boy to shore, took that shark, pulled him out on the sand and beat him to death on the sand. That's passion. That's the kind of thing we want to have in the kingdom of God. And seen, isn't this the truth, seen far too few times. Zig Ziglar, who's a good friend and been a great part of my life some years ago, used to say, my mother used to say to me, Zig, whatever you get into, get into it with both feet. Jump in and give it everything you've got. And if you can't give it everything you've got, get out of the way and let somebody else come in and stand in your place. Well, Ezekiel said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. I remember the first time I understood the derivative of enthusiasm. I've always been known as a guy pretty enthusiastic, you know, and, and, uh, and Norman Vincent Peale. I remember being uh, speaking on a thing with him, and he was talking about him, and he does this. He'd, he'd spread in that stance and get those shoulders back and with that gravelly voice. He'd talk about we need more enthusiasm in the world. Do you know, he said, what enthusiasm means? Do you know the words that enthusiasm came from? comes from two Greek words, in and theos, which means God in us. So we're not talking about something foreign to the kingdom of God. We're talking about when you get God in you, you get enthusiasm in you. Are you listening? Do you understand that that's the normal and the natural? And these guys that come around saying, well, you know, too much excitement in the kingdom of God, you know, too much clapping, too much jumping, you know. And the thing connected with the people of God from the first day of the church until you go all the way through the New Testament and in churches of our Lord today is noise. When this was noised about, thank God for the noise on the day of Pentecost. And thank God for noise that happens in the kingdom of God today. I mean, sometimes we're just, you know, we're just so opposite that. And people are so suspicious when something good happens to somebody in the congregation and they stand up and testify to that. We're afraid something is wrong with them. And something is wrong, but I fear that it's wrong with the people we don't understand is wrong from. So here's the Bible saying, full of God. The early church certainly knew this in the second chapter of Acts. I mean, begin in verse 1. This was noised abroad. And the multitude attends. And Peter preaches, you know. And, and it's a mighty sermon. There are thousands of people there. At the end of that convicting sermon, the people are crying out. They're pricked and cut in their heart. Not when someone said, I'd like to give you the exegesis today of the word crucifixion. They just didn't do that. He told them about a Savior who loved them so much he was ripped out of heaven and came to earth to die for them. And they found out with that one sermon that Jesus that they had nailed to the cross really was the Son of God. And they cried out in their hearts, men and brethren, tell us what to do. And the Bible said Peter told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you guys will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they that gladly received his word, verse 41, were baptized. And the same day, I know people today that don't even care about an invitation. One way or the other, I'm not pushing for any methods. Please understand that. Our methods are going to change. Praise God. Our technology is going to change. Praise God. And all that stuff, praise God. But we've got to understand there are lost people out there that need the precious gospel of Jesus. And a church that is not passionate toward winning the loss isn't going to win many of them. I'm going to tell you that right now. 
We're going to need passion in the kingdom of God. Well, it goes on. I mean, Acts 4, they arrest the apostles and tell them, don't preach anymore. We'll put you in jail. We'll take your life. And they said, well, you're going to have to judge whether it's right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than him, but we cannot help. We can't help it. We need a church that can't help it. We've got a church today that can help it and does help it and cuts down those that do. We've got a church today that questions the one that are standing up and getting excited about Jesus and and they're going to mark them and so forth. And that's got to end. It's just got to end. We've just got to get more passionate about the church of Jesus Christ. And they were. And the Bible says we can't help it. Chapter 5, they put them back in jail. And they say to them, unbelievably, didn't we tell you? We're going to put you back in jail. We're going to take you. Do you hear me? We're going to take your life. And Peter says back to the Max 5 and verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. And that's what I'm pleading for today, that we obey God, that we don't worry about the world. We don't worry about a brotherhood mafia. We don't worry about anything except standing true to the word of God and moving passionately toward the goal God has set. I love the verse in Acts 17 and verse 6 when it talked about the apostles coming with their entourage on the second missionary journey. And it said, these who have turned the world upside down are coming our way. I long for the day when the people that come to our cities say, you're going to have a rough time there because we've got people in this city who turned the world upside down. I long for the day when in Tulsa, where we've had 33 of these things. I long for the day when people are saying, let me tell you what, the greatest thing that I know happening in Tulsa, the most newsworthy thing, the most amazing thing is that group that is turning the world upside down, is coming back to Tulsa, and you better watch out. You don't have to watch your wallets. You don't have to watch beer. They tell us at the fairground, you're a different show. They call us a show, and that's okay with me. You're a different show because we don't pick up cigarette butts and beer cans after you like we do the rest of them. But they need to know that these people that make a difference, they're a different breed of cat, and they're coming to town uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, he said, make the most of every opportunity. And as far as I know, the only sin in the Bible that makes God, that says so, that makes God sick at his stomach is the sin of lukewarmness. You've read it in Revelation 3 and verse 15. To the church of God at Laodicea in Asia Minor. And he said, I know, the angel of the Lord says, I know your works that you're neither hot nor cold. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please understand? I've not come here to point the finger at you. We're coming here to do something about it, all right? I wouldn't preach this sermon. It's a no-good sermon if all I do is say how bad we are and how wretched we are. But I believe I'm talking to people who want to make a difference. Surely you didn't amount this lot, this, this, uh, a lot this much time and spend this much money to come here and sit in your seats and enjoy a few things and go home totally unchanged. Surely you did not do that. Surely I'm talking to the vanguard of the people of God. I'm talking to the people that can make a difference. I'm talking to the 12 apostles. I'm talking to the 120 on the day of Pentecost. I'm talking to the remnant the Bible always talks about who are going to hear the word of the Lord and move forward in victory. I'm talking to them, and I believe that we can make a difference. But God said about these people, you're neither hot nor cold. And he says, I wish you were. I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I'm going to vomit, spit, spew. 
I didn't realize that meant vomit until I went to Australia. And I was quoting it, and God said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And they said, boy, that's bad, God vomiting out. I said, what? Well, that's what it means over there. Well, that's what it means to God. Let's just face it. God says, you know what makes me sick? See, I see guys out in the world, God says, that really, really oppose you. I see gays marching in the streets, gay pride. And here we stand saying, oh, how bad that is. And it is bad. But God doesn't get near as upset. Hear me? God doesn't get near as upset at gay pride parades. God doesn't near get near as upset, upset at the drug dealers and at the pornographic people and, and all of this stuff that is going on with the filth of the world. It doesn't make God sick at his stomach like you neither being hot or cold, but lukewarm. He says, I can't stand it. If we were to make illustrations, you'd realize it's that way. We make in this morning, we made coffee. Our visitors to the workshop are there. You know, my wife always says, I get in more trouble, just more trouble over don't start the coffee before I get out of bed. Because in 10 minutes with it sitting there, it's not as hot as it was when it first makes. So leave it alone. And being a man that understands English, I leave it alone. But, And the reason is she doesn't and you don't like lukewarm coffee. And God doesn't like lukewarm Christianity. He said, I would prefer that you fight me viciously than for you to say, well, you know, I really don't care. I really, I really don't know one way or the other. I have more respect for an atheist. And an atheist, by definition, would be somebody who says, I have examined the evidence, and the evidence points to the conclusion there's no God. I've got more respect for an atheist than for an agnostic who says, well, you know, I don't think we can tell. I mean, there's pros and there's cons. Remind John, you've just applied to preach at another place. Remind me the preacher going to a place to apply, and they said, we've got to ask you a few questions. You know our brethren. They can ask questions. And he said, how do you feel about this issue? And he said, well, you know, there are pros and cons. And he said, well, he's looking at them, trying to read them, John. And he said, well, I'm kind of pro. And they said, pro? And he said, I'm kind of pro the con side, you know. Another, was, another preacher was asking, how do you feel about this issue? And he said, how do you all like it preached? I mean, that's a little more close to what we're saying here. God doesn't like that. Take a stand. Be the best you can be, you know. Look at the evidence. Is Jesus really the Son of God or not? If he's not, let's forsake him. If he is, let's get with him and serve him passionately. Well, there are things that demand our passion. We'll talk about a few of those, and then we'll close today. What is it that is so marvelous that we need to be passionate about? And I would say in the greatest song, I guess, still today, that is so more, unless there are statistics that have changed this, the greatest contemporary Christian song sung by more people and sold and heard around the world is our God is an awesome God. And I'm thankful for that. Our God is an awesome God. How many of you have heard the man's name that puts out the DVDs? Louis Giglio. I want to, I want to, man alive. Now the rest of you, repent. Let me tell you one of the greatest that you know I play with you a lot, all right? And I hope you like it and I can motivate you and not repulse you, all right? Uh, different than some people. But anyway, <laughs> but when I was in Africa this time, and I just got home March 8th, I was in Africa, and one of the guys came over and said, have you ever seen the DVD Incredible Grace? And I said, no. You know, he said, 40 minutes, and my first thought was, I ain't got, you know, Americans, I ain't got, look at your watch right away. What are you doing that's so important in this world? I'm thinking, I can't. You know, I may have to go sharpen my pencil or wash the cat. You understand? 
And uh, he said, no, 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 you need to watch. Louis, let me say it again, Louis Giglio, G-I-G-L-I-O. There are about six DVDs out. I've seen two of them. And one is Incredible Grace, and the other one is either How Big or How Great is Our God. And this guy is an astrologist, astronomer, scientist. He doesn't claim to be. But he has an amazing grasp of scientific facts. And on top of that, an amazing amount of photos by the Hubble Space Telescope. An amazing help by several astronauts that have even gone to the moon who are helping him put these things out. And when he speaks like over at the pavilion, when he speaks to this huge crowd, man, I'd love to get him here. I'd love to have that very thing done here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But when he speaks, I mean, like my finger he is to the screen where he shows these pictures, you know, of the incredible greatness of God. And and we ought to get excited. We ought to get passionate because our God is an awesome God. I mean, we live in a small galaxy. Giglio likes to take a golf ball uh, into the into this pulpit and say, this is Earth. Compared to, you know, here's the sun, and it's compared to like this Expo Quick Trip Center building here, and you could put this many golf balls in it. And we live as a... You couldn't make a speck with the, with the tip of a pen. You could not make a speck that wouldn't cover your entire state and maybe your entire nation. We we serve an amazing, awesome, incredible God. I, the best thing I love about God and all the words about God is in Genesis 17 in verse 1. When God called Abraham saying, Abraham! And Abraham says, yes, Lord. And he says to Abraham, I am the Almighty. That's my favorite saying about God. I'm the Almighty. And and the neat thing about Giglio's DVDs that you need to get, maybe somebody here will have them. If not, go to your local bookstore and they will. It's to first of all show how small you are. He will say, as you get smaller and smaller in God's fantastic universe, where there are millions and millions and millions and millions of stars, and God set each one out and knows each one by name. How Awesome is it then when God says, I know when a hair falls from your head. I know when a sparrow falls from the ground. And ours is the inhabited planet. And people wonder, well, you know, it's so big. You know, we can't be the only inhabited planet. And Giglio says, and it was really good for me to realize, hey, creation isn't about you. It isn't about how small you are. Creation is out there in all of its big awesomeness to demonstrate the power and glory of God. It's just for you to celebrate how great He is and then to realize that God so loved the world, this little speck that He gave His one and only Son for us. We serve, yeah, we serve an amazing, amazing, awesome God. And then secondly, I want to talk about what an awesome fellowship we have in the church. Now, we can talk about our craziness, and we've got plenty of it. We are a weird mob. But God, that's, God knows that. And God sees all of the stumblers that we are. And, and we've got a few that stumble and the world sees it. And we've got other people that seem to stand and they've been true to God and pure all their lives. And it's only because the world does not know. Because there is none righteous, no, not one. And with all of that bigness, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Do you know who Jesus died for? You know, I've said this in sermons all over, but I'm doing the preaching, so I'll say it again if I want to. I asked Jim Caldwell many, many years ago. Saw him, saw Jim two days ago at a funeral here in Tulsa. 
Years ago, I said to Jim, get up and lead the opening prayer. And Jim got up there, and like he always did, he'd say, let's pray. And then he'd be quiet a long time. You thought he's having a heart attack. You know, he's Alzheimer's. He forgot whatever, you know. And you're going to risk one eye lest God strike you blind. You're going to see where he's at, you know. And he's just giving you time to settle down for prayer. And his first words were, God, it is an awesome thing to be died for. Now, do you know who you are? Are you having trouble this morning with your significance? Because our insignificance can compare to the universe, the known universe, is that God Almighty sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for you. And there isn't anybody in this room or in the world that Jesus had more in mind when He hung upon the cross than you. We serve a mighty God. We have an awesome Jesus who bought with His blood an awesome church. And with all of our faults, I mean the greatest people, the greatest fellowship, the greatest place to be on earth is in the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons we like coming to Tulsa or any other gathering like this is it's just a bigger gathering of the sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters, with Jesus as my older brother and God Almighty as my father. It is an awesome, incredible fellowship we belong to. And we have an awesome commission. The Great Commission. It reads, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all things I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. Mark's account, go into all the world, preach the gospel of the whole creation. Luke's account, repentance and remission of sins got to be preached in his name among all nations. And John's account, John 20 and verse 21, is simply, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time, and I want to tell you, nobody, nobody on the earth has a right to make the Bible a boring book, and a lot of people try. Nobody has a right to make the church a boring place, and there's a lot of people that try that. I'm telling you that we need passion restored. I'm telling you that the noise that you read about in the first church when this was noised abroad is the thing that needs to happen again. And you came here to make one of three decisions, and I want to leave you with them. You can resign, you can quit, or you can become resigned to it. Give in and accept the status quo, or you can be re-signed. And we have this 33rd international soul-winning workshop so that every one of us without exception will re-sign and serve God passionately. Thank you very much.